We are trying to have you properly geared up for all of your holiday weekend travels. We want to give you some some ample listening material because God knows there comes a point in time where you just can't look at your family members around the table anymore <laughs> and you need to sneak away somewhere. So who better to provide that than someone that uh, I've been a big fan of for a long time, uh, and that is uh, Tommy Beer from NBC uh, and Forbes. He does a lot of great work on the NBA in general, but especially on the Knicks. Tommy, how the hell you doing, man? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. Um, yes, hopefully uh, I know how uh, interesting it can be to have your in-laws and, and family and friends over on Thanksgiving. So hopefully you can provide a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a distraction. Can I can I pry and ask where you will be spending your holidays? We, for the first time, my wife and I. And our little one and our chocolate lab are hosting. Um, we are going to have yes, yes. Oh boy, the in-laws <laughs> and uh, you know, I tr- see. I try to think outside the box a little bit, and I say we order. You know, we should order pizza and Chinese food. Um, this is this way everyone gets what they like. You know, but my wife wasn't feeling that, so yeah, we're doing the, the official turkey and, and and all that good stuff. So um, it, it should be good. So yes, uh, pray for me, pray for us. Oh. Experience. As someone who hosted uh, for the first and probably the last time <laughs> last year, um, it was I, an experience. It well, ours was uh, what was she uh, a little over one at the time. So oh yeah, it was an experience trying right. to cook and, and have that run around. Um, all right. Well, as much as I'm sure people want to hear about our Thanksgiving plans, let's uh, let's get this in basketball. Um, so you obviously you know you focus on the Knicks a lot. You follow this team. And I think there are, you know, despite the fact that they're obviously a very bad team, there's no shortage of really uh, interesting, uh, I kind of want to say debates going on right now about where the team is going, how they're handling certain things. Um, So the first one of those that I kind of want to get your take on uh, is with Frank Nilakina. You wrote a piece, uh, I want to say it was about a week or two ago now, um, on Frank's development and how you think that uh, or how you thought that he should remain the starting point guard of the team for the rest of the year. Uh, After that piece came out, I want to say like within the next day or so, he was (laughs) demoted back to the bench. So obviously Fisdale isn't isn't reading your stuff, which is unfortunate. Or maybe he is and he just didn't listen. (laughs) Um, Let me say this or let me ask you this. I'll put it to you this way. How, How detrimental do you think it is for Frank's development, for him to not spend this entire year being like on the ball, you know, lead ball handler when he's in the game, and instead spending some of his time on the wing, part, you know, most of his time. Like, where where do you come down on like? Is there only one path for this kid to develop him into the player that I know, you know, Knicks fans hope that he becomes? Yeah, it, it's a good question, and and it's interesting. It's it's good that we start with with Neil Akina because I, I I have to admit I think he is the most divisive player 
among fans and journalists, et cetera, that I've seen in quite some time. I mean, there's, you know, there's other guys, you know, I guess obviously Mellows is, is, is at the top of the list as well. But, um, you know, for a young guy, there seems to be such a divergence among, among fans as to where he fits. It's amazing. But, it yeah. is, right? You, you, you sense that too? Oh, it, I mean, I'm on Twitter every day just like yeah. you. It's like, you know, JB said it on our, our pod that we had with Chris Herring over the weekend. It's like he posts something about Frank. It doesn't matter what it is. Frank could, it could be a, a, you know, video of Frank hitting a jumper. And it's like, there's going to be a hundred people commenting, you know, for better or worse. So true. So, so yeah, I, I mean, obviously, as you alluded to uh, in my column, I am of the belief that this year should be dedicated to giving Frank as much experience as possible on ball with the ball in his hands, making decisions, taking shots, facilitating the offense, running the offense, et cetera. Um, you know, to your point in, in, in your great piece uh, recently, when you talked about that there's a, you know, a nonlinear path for his development that could see some minutes on the wing, et cetera. And I, I certainly think there's, there, there's a case to be made for that. Um, but from, in my opinion, um, f- from where I sit, I think that the best case scenario, um, again, because I think we're all on the same page that this team isn't going to win a championship this season, let alone uh, contend for the for the eighth seed in the, in the Eastern Conference. Um, the, the the goal should be development, and obviously that that's been kind of the the talking you know cliche um, in and around the team from the the front office to the head coach, etc. Um, and I think you know. At this time next year, you know, once the season wraps up and, you know, we approach the, the draft in June and free agency in, in July, the Knicks front office is going to have to ask themselves, you know, answer some very difficult questions, primarily being do we need to draft and or sign a, a point guard? Do we need a point guard of the future or is that guy already on the roster? You know, and I, I think obviously Moutier is not the answer and Trey Burke is going to be a free agent um, and, you know, kind of projects, I think, more as a six-man scoring guard. So um, the only real option to, to find out is is that guy is Nilakina that guy you know a top eighth overall draft pick a couple of years ago young 19 still 20 years old and developing so um, while the Knicks lose games which they most assuredly will let's use that time um, to find out exactly what we have in Nilakina now even if he does play all 82 games and averages 48 minutes a year the 48 minutes a game that doesn't necessarily mean we'll have our answer but I feel the more the greater sample size we have, the better uh, position we'll be in. You know, uh, the better position uh, Mills and, and Perry will be in to make that decision. Uh, you know, come June and July. I, I mean, obviously, I, you know, I, I tried to play a little bit of devil's advocate with that piece, and uh, you know, in my heart of hearts, I agree with you. I, I guess, you know, Fisdale kind of came out this year and said, you know, the first twenty twenty five games are going to be an extension of training camp. So I'm, I'm not that I'm giving anybody a pass yet, but I want to see where things are at after that period, which actually, you know, I think that leads into the next question that I had for you, which is, do you think that when Frank is on the floor um, and he has the ball and he's leading the offense, do you think that there's more that Fisdale could be doing to help him be successful? Because, you know, the shot hasn't been falling. That's its own kind of category but you know even aside from that it's it seems like it's you know the ball moves when he's when he's at the point but it's also it seems like it's tougher for them to score is there anything that you've seen that you're like oh man I wish they would go to that more I mean a lot of people are like they should run him in more pick and rolls I mean where, where do you see that that going 
sure, I'd like to see him run more more pick and rolls. I'd like to see him get downhill a little bit more. Um, like all of us, I'd obviously like to see him a bit more aggressive. But I, I don't know if that can be coached or teached or if that's, you know, kind of a, a innate thing. It's I a guess great that's, point. It's a great you know, point. A nature versus nurture kind of situation there. Um, and I'm certainly not going to pretend to know uh, one millionth as, uh, as much about basketball um, as Fizdale and the guys on the Knicks coaching staff. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't feel, you know, I, I wouldn't say that um, there's any secret, you know, magic uh, play or potion that they're going to uncover that I could uncover um, that they haven't thought of that would get, you know, Frank to become a more efficient player. Um, those that knock Nilakina have, have a right to do so because the reality is his offensive numbers are not just bad. They're atrocious. They're um, rough. They're really, really rough. The on-off I mean, numbers are not good. Terrible, you know, and it, it is, is effective field goal percentage, true shooting percentage. Really, by any metric, offensively, um, he's been far below average, not even just bad. Um, obviously, you know, as a caveat, I, I think we both agree here that defensively, um, it's almost impossible to knock his his contributions defensively uh, in the same way, in the same vein. You know, whatever metric you want to use on the defensive side of the floor, um, his his numbers are off the charts. Um, but the weird thing about offensively, I mean, if you look at his shot, you know, you know, just from from you know folks that grew up playing the game and, and watch the game, his form it looks you know like like how you would want it an ideal you know developing form to look his elbow is in it's repeatable delivery his follow-through is solid and consistent uh, sets his feet you know is it you know more often than not so it's just one of those weird things I mean he, he shot well in France um, shot well in international competitions you know the under 18 etc around 40 percent from three so it's uh it is very interesting to see how it plays out but you know we'll see yeah, I uh, I think I I could tell you getting a little agita over there just thinking of his uh, whatever his three point percentage is over the last eight eight games. I think mm-hmm. that's I think that's what's getting to you. Um, no, I, I mean there was some talk on Twitter today. Some people asked me, do you think there's something wrong with his shoulder? Because there was I think some kind of um, you know hinting of that in one of the pieces that came out today. I I just I'm I am inclined to think that something is a little off because like you describe his shot and his form I completely agree with you and I I just I have to think that something more is going on here because his you know how off he's been from three is just uh, more than I think anybody expected um, I mean, like, it could it could also just be a confidence issue you know it could um, you know it's one of those things I think that's sometimes um you know undersold in terms of p- performance uh, you know for players um it's just how confident they be and i guess that would kind of circle back to whether fizdale's using him correctly you know when he started playing well and he was starting games at point guard Moutier finally gets healthy and and, and fizdale calls him the best passer on the team and shortly thereafter Moutier's starting at point guard and frank's coming off the bench and playing alongside burke and playing on the wing um so i i think it is a fair criticism of fizdale in that respect um, to um, as much as it is a, for a player to put uh, for a coach to put a player in the right positions to you know in a position to succeed on the floor, um, part of that is 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 a position to succeed off the floor as well and getting them in the right mindset and making them comfortable, etc. Um, so you know Fizdale seems to be you know uh, great at motivating guys and you know every, at each stop he's been at you know obviously with the exception of of Gasol down in Memphis it seems like he's had success. Um, you know, developing solid relationships with players. Um, so we'll see how that uh, continues to unfold. Um, but that that certainly has been, um, you know, somewhat of a disappointing uh, in in Neil Akina's development this season. Um, that that that's certainly been a, a cause for concern. 
Yeah, yeah. no, and, and like you said, I mean, he, with the track record that he has, especially down in Miami, getting that experience, um, kind of developing relationships with the upper crust of the NBA, you know, elite, if you will. Um, I, does that translate into making the right moves to make sure that a second year, 20 year old kid who's just learning a new position is as confident and, and, you know, coherent as he could be? Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that remains to be seen, but the thing I like, if you look around, like what's going around with some of the other team or what's going on with some of the other teams around the NBA, I mean, situations are already starting to fall apart. And with the Knicks, you know, with the exception of the couple of games that we saw last week, they're playing hard. Um, you know, it's not always pretty, obviously. They're not very good. <laughs> but I, I like the way that he's he's getting the team to play um, pretty much, you know, 100% of the time. Not, not, not 100%, but maybe like in the 90s. Uh, we saw Trey Burke show out uh, against the Magic uh, in the game they played on Sunday night. He was doing his thing, you know, doing little jab steps, his, his Allen Iverson impersonation. And I think this goes, you know, really for, for any of these guys that are probably not going to be on the team past this year. Um, I mean, you never know. Anything could happen. But is there still a benefit to having guys like Burke, Cantor, Moutier, you know, Mario these guys who are probably not going to be on the team long term, to having them do well, um, perhaps improve their stock a little bit, but even more generally, just make, you know, make the team's performance a little bit higher. Do you, or do you think it's just, you know, a complete waste of time and possessions and you know potential learning experiences for the kids? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, call, certainly wouldn't call it a complete waste. Just, you know, just due to the fact that obviously they, they, he can't play the kids forty minutes a game, you know, eighty-two games a season. So there's, there's, there's going to be else there. And I think the one reason for playing Moutier, I think ideally, um, would be if some way somehow. Um, a team needed a point guard at the deadline and you can maybe flip him for a second round pick or um, a team that you were, you know, hoping to trade uh, Courtney Lee to um, found some value and, you know, that, that he could give him, you know, 10 minutes off the bench. Um, I find it difficult to imagine any contending team um, would view Moutier as an asset that they would be interested in. Um, but, you know, I guess, you know, Fisdale and, and, and the front office was thinking or is thinking, you know, maybe, you know, he plays well for a month. You know, the talent is there. Um, you know, it was a top seven overall pick. Um, still relatively young, obviously. Um, and, you know, ditto for Burke. You know, maybe a, a team is looking for a score off the bench um, and, and for Cantor as well. I think that's probably the best case scenario for those guys playing and playing well is that ideally you could flip them at the deadline um, because otherwise they're, it's, it's kind of somewhat short-sighted um, in my opinion. Yeah, no, and I think that's the opinion of, of most people. I guess that, again, the kind of contrarian point that I sometimes go to is, you know, you're trying to rebrand yourself as an organization because obviously the Knicks have been um, anything but an ideal organization that, that players – actually want to come play to or come to to play and I wonder if you show yourself to be a place where guys like you know a Moutier, a Burke, a, a Hazonia can come and and be successful and kind of rehabilitate their career does that have some benefits that you know they may not be apparent right this second but you know going down the line you know moving forward um, just to 
to up their their reputation as a franchise. Like, look, we're not a disaster anymore. You could come here. You could, you know, leave as a better asset than when you came. Because that's we're, certainly not something we've seen. True, absolutely, and also, you know, ideally, to you know, the benefit of not finishing with the worst record is showing we're a team on the rise. You know, we don't have enough KP, but we still won. You know, thirty three games. You know, Vegas had us projected at twenty eight, so we have some talent here, and you know, th- that could be part of the sales pitch to a guy, you know, like um, uh, you know, KD or you know, Clay Thompson, whoever they might uh, end up pursuing come come July. Uh- well, you you brought it up, so why don't we why don't we get to it? So July two thousand nineteen. Um, obviously, if KD wants to come, they you know they should buy all the red carpet that exists in the world and uh, and roll it out for him. Uh, for me, you know, Kawhi, it's the same thing. Although I can't imagine he if he leaves Toronto, I would I would guess he would be going to L.A. After those two guys. Um, I'm going to throw a hypothetical at you. Let's say KD resigns in Golden State for one year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wants to play in the new arena. He's not ready to uh, have his you know little skirmishes with Draymond Green, <laughs> and yet he, you know he gets his kicks off of them. He resigns for one year. Is there anybody else that you, as if you're the Knicks, you would give a long-term contract to uh, at that point, or would you just carry the cap space over into uh, 2020, I guess, at that point. Right. Um, one, I actually am of the belief that there is a decent chance that that Durant ends up in New York. Um, I, I, first, I, I think he's leaving Golden State. Um, I, I thought so before the season um, and wrote about um, – I think, you know – that's assuming that the Warriors cruise to another title, um, and uh, you know he, you know, even if he doesn't win MVP, but let's say he wins a third MVP, I just think he sits down at that point and says, "What is there left to prove?" You know, and I think Draymond's comments, you know, that's why they really cut to the core uh, of this situation. I think that's something that he's going to be, you know, forced to think about. You know, it's just, it's one thing when when trolls on the internet say, you know, you're band <laughs> bandwagon, etc. Oh, that's know, a great point. And he seems sensitive to that, even from the, these these trolls. But when I, you know, you assume the guy's on his he, team. And, he's a and sensitive he's, guy, apparently. It's, it's a sensitive seems... soul, you know, and yeah. it, it's what it is. So you you assume the guys in and around him, close to him, say, "Listen, those are idiots. Ignore them. Everyone in that that is smart knows how valuable you are to this franchise and this team, and and your legacy cemented with these titles." But then when you have Draymond say something like that, um, but yeah, even before the Draymond stuff, I th- again, I just think it comes to a point in time where. You know what would be you know a greater a greater uh, mark on his mantle you know a greater you know checklist on his legacy would it be winning another title in Golden State or taking a team like the Wizards to the Eastern Conference Finals or getting to the second round even with the Knicks you know I I think it you know he just would would view that as as something that's amazing um, a, a new challenge um, but. To directly answer your question, I think the only other player other than Kawhi and KD as you mentioned is Clay Thompson. I completely agree. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think he struggled a little bit this year with his shot, obviously, but he'll get back on track. But Clay's one of those guys, I mean, one of the best. I mean, yes, he's in the. He, he kind of obviously gets overshadowed because he plays with the greatest shooter of all time. But by the time he retires, he will be considered one of the best long range shooters uh, in league history. Um, and he's an elite perimeter defender. So um, he fits Nick's needs in, in both respects. 
um, you know, would be a great fit alongside Neil Aquina and KP and Knox, obviously. So um, Clay would definitely be a guy. Even though I, I think it's less likely he leaves Golden State, I think Clay is very content being the third or fourth banana in 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 Golden State. It just kind of suits his his vibe and his his personality. Um, but if he ever considered the Knicks even for a second, um, I, I would be very comfortable offering him a max deal. I I completely agree. I think it's a largely theoretical exercise, but I. Um... And, and 100% agree with you. I think if, if Clay ever made him, even if he, he decided to take meetings, um, I mean, I think that would be that would be a guy that, like you said, because I think as we're, we're moving forward in the NBA today, I mean, obviously throughout NBA history, we know the value of guys who could make, make things happen with the ball in their hands. But I think more and more the value of guys who are valuable without the ball in their hands Yep. Um, to just you know draw the uh, you know the the gravity of a defense is is only increasing as we move forward. So yeah, um, geez, we're agreeing on everything. This is you know, <laughs> who the hell wants to listen to this? Um, let me get two quick hitting takes uh, on a couple of things with the Knicks, and then we'll get a quick general NBA uh, thing, and then we'll have you on your way. Um, first one. Do you think Ines Cantor is on this team uh, at the very end of the year, or do you think he gets either? Well, I wrote an article recently about how I don't think it's even possible to trade him, but I'll I'll give you that as one option. The other option would be uh, him being bought out. Yeah, I don't think they trade him. I, I think that's unrealistic for that. Uh, I do think there is a chance he gets bought out um, if it's one of those situations where Perry and Mills want to do a favor for Cantor and his agent, um, allow him to leave a situation uh, and, and go play, a, a compete for a contender. Um, Cantor, I, I don't get, to be honest, uh, you know, there's, there's been a, you know, a lot of thing, you know, a lot made of his tweets, et cetera. Um, he seems like the kind, it seems like to me that his preference, it, it's not even the, the thing that I think is worrisome. It's not that he's upset that the team's losing. It's that they're not featuring him in those losses. You know, uh, you know his goal. Is, <laughs> That's it, well put. <laughs> you know, he, and, and, and he plays hard. You know, and he obviously he's limited defensively. But um, as plenty of people have pointed out, and, and, and uh, you know, it's there's there's a lot of his focus seems to be on on on, on padding his stats, and he does a good job of that. And there's certain, I think there is certainly a role for him on a on a contending team off the bench, you know, playing you know 15 minutes a night uh, where you you limit his defensive uh, efficiencies. Um, but yeah, you know, it just seems like if he were an all star on a on a 21 team and and a social media superstar, he'd he'd be happy. With oh, that. he'd he'd be happy as a pig and shit. Absolutely, <laughs> agreed, agreed. So um, I don't know if if another team's um, you know, like I said, I don't think another team trade for him. I think another team would be willing to pick him up and, and pay him the minimum for the last month of the season and make a playoff push. Um, so I could see that happening um, after the deadline. I, but if you had to give me a choice, I'd say it's probably greater than 50% um, that he plays, uh, that he's on the Knicks on the last day of the season. Okay. Last Knicks question, and this is the one that I think is the most, um, I don't want to say the most underrated big picture storyline for them over the next, whatever you want to say, eight to 10 months, but it's up there. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., do you think if Perry and Mills have an opportunity to move him essentially as a neutral asset, so maybe they get back, you know, um, uh, a guy who's not very good, less money, maybe the same amount of years, you know, let's just say for argument's sake, a player that's making half as much as him, 
but over the same time period. And, you know, like a uh, heavily protected first-round pick or even a second-round pick. You know, it's, it's basically a way to get most of his money off the books. Do you think that they would make that move, or do you think that this front office still views him as an asset, even on his current contract? Great question. And I think one of the more interesting questions and a question we'll never get the answer to was what Steve, or what Perry thought about Mills signing Hardaway to that contract. Because, again, Hardaway was signed before they brought Perry on it's board. It's a great point. It's a great you know? point. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I'd love to know what – what 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 he thought what Perry thought you know when he saw that Mills made that deal before he was part of the Knicks organization you know yeah and he and he said the company line the day he was hired sure. like oh yeah I love we we admired that move from afar in Sacramento but of course sure. what's he gonna exactly. say I'd love to know what they said in the Sacramento war room when that when that signing was my my guess was what the f <laughs> they they thinking like like the like like the rest of the you know the the front offices in the league um, yeah and, uh, yeah. I, I think it's a it's a very interesting question as to what they do now. I, I you know is is Mill you know is Mill still firmly in the in the Hardaway camp and uh, convinced that he'll develop into a you know a solid two way player etc. Um, you know the reason that he overpaid for him to start with. Um, I I don't know. I, I know I certainly would would love to trade him um, and get out from under that money. Um, would I give up a first rounder to do it? Probably not if it's protected. Would I give up an you know a, a, an unprotected first rounder? Certainly not. Would I give up a heavily protected first rounder? I would certainly consider it. Um, would I give up a second rounder? Uh, absolutely. Um, I think if they were able to get out from under that contract, it would really open up some 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 avenues going forward. Um, you know that's why um, you know with with you know with with the deal. But you know th- there's always a team. You know, like, you know, I thought it was interesting, you know, and much hasn't been made of it, but um, the Thunder look brilliant right now for trading Mello for, for Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of people, and I'm, I'll be the first to say, I was one of them. I, I did not love that deal for, I actually, I really didn't love that deal for either side, but, I, <laughs> right, I, right. you know, I, I, I wasn't a Schroeder fan, but hey, yes. listen, you put him in a different environment and he's, I mean, how could you deny what he's been doing this year with OKC? Exactly. The, the Thunder are ten and one over the last eleven games, even without Westbrook, and he gives him a backup, and maybe that limit Westbrook's minutes and keep him fresh, et cetera. And obviously, and and the point being that they got out from one year left on um, on Melo's deal. Um, so would a team be willing? Would a team like that, that's you know that's that's a competitive team, be willing to dump um, a contract? You know, next year when Ryan Anderson's in the final year of his deal, would the Knicks take back Ryan Anderson's deadweight contract? For you know to give to get out from the weight of, of Hardaway's contract would, would be an interesting you know case study the a thought experiment there um, but yeah I don't I don't think I think teams are going to sit tight certainly um, at the deadline in February because uh, as it's set up now about half the teams in the league are going to have um, significant cap space going to next summer so all teams and all GMs and executives. Um, you know, are probably attempting to convince themselves and their owners and their fan bases that they can be a major player. And why not? If you know, if you have a shot to sign a stud and kind of revamp your franchise without giving anything up or taking back any contracts um, in the deal, um, you certainly want to do so after the, you know, after the the, the off season of 2019. Um, that's when the Knicks can obviously reassess, I think, a little bit and and figure out where they want to go. Um, but up until then, I think uh, Hardaway was is going to stay on the on the team. Yeah, totally. I think. Uh... 
Timmy and his uh, 117.2 defensive rating uh, <laughs> will be <laughs> will be remaining in the in the Nick locker room for the time being. All right, uh, last question before you go. You not only cover the Knicks, you cover the NBA in general. Um, outside of Golden State, because I kind of put them in their own category, what do you think is the biggest um, kind of long-term or let me rephrase that what do you think is the nba storyline or nba you know plot or whatever you want to word you want to use that has the the greatest long-term implications you know i'm I'm talking about things like you know new orleans can they get their stuff together or will you know ad decide to bolt or can the celtics get their shit together or what's going on with houston like what do you, what situation are you looking at right now? And you're like, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. Well, obviously you have the Durant scenario in Golden State. I, I think, you know, that's, that's the be all and the end all because that really would change the game. Um, should Durant leave next summer? I think we're all in a, in a way rooting for it. You know, regardless, unless you're a Warriors fan, I think the other 29 fan base <laughs> just because, and, and no, it's just, yeah. just a fan in general because it just makes it more interesting, you know, like, there can be great, you know, like even though we kind of know what's I mean, I love the NBCs and the day and I, I, I have I enjoy pouring over box scores more than any sane, rational person should. Um, and and I you're love, good at it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> appreciate it. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, like nutcases like you and I love the ins and outs and, and the daily stuff. But I understand the casual fan kind of being a little bit disinterested in the regular season and then not having as much motivation to, the, you know, to the postseason because we kind of know how the how the plot ends, you know, how the how the story ends uh you know there can be great you know the you know the the uh, the old line is um i know that the titanic goes down but i still enjoy the movie you know like this fun can be had along the way but i think if, if durant uh moved and obviously if he came to new york that's a, you know a game changer for us um but um you know if, you know but, but if he went anywhere and just kind of you know take away that could steph you know, be, regain his rightful place as a hierarchy of one of the best players in the league, and kind of continue on his path towards. Could he climb into the top fifteen greatest players of all time, or top ten? Because he he's going to need a Finals MVP on his resume to, to be in that conversation. Um, yes, so that's obviously fascinating. Um, I think the scenario with Kawhi um, in Toronto. I personally think the Raptors are going to come out of the East. I uh, agree with you. I'm, I've been on record of saying that. Completely agree. Agree. I just think that they're playing, you know, at a really high level defensively, offensively, and, and Kawhi is kind of that, um, you know, that X factor. Um, so that's certainly something, you know, the Jimmy Butler scenario in Philadelphia is fascinating. Um, how does he kind of fit in um, with the new troop? You know, he's saying all the right things now. This is, uh, you know, this is wonderful, and I'm having fun, and this is great. It's yeah, the honeymoon. I mean, you know, exactly, exactly. But we'll see once they have their, you know, they have their first fight and, you know, he makes uh, Markel Fultz sleep on the couch, you know, after they get back <laughs> to the um, So, uh, you know, but that, that, so that's that's all interesting. Um, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of plot lines, but I, I guess if I had to choose one other than outside of KD, I would I would say it's the Anthony Davis situation. Um, you know, we got a chance to watch him, you know, Friday night when he destroyed the Knicks and, you know, was, went back to back on, on Saturday, had another 40 point game and average is averaging like 41. Thirteen over his last few games, uh, he's just a monster. I, I, I and and I tweeted at the time. You know, I don't know how much longer we can avoid 
saying, you know, or at least putting him in the conversation as the game's greatest player. You know, kind of him and Giannis, eventually you think um, LeBron James would slow down, although um, he apparently is the only guy to beat Father Time. Um, <laughs> he's Anthony Davis just watching him play. It's just like, oh, my God, is there anything this dude can't do? You know, lead the league in blocks, you know, step back threes. Um, if the Celtics were able to get their hands on him, uh, does he end up in L.A. with LeBron, you know, as has been rumored about, you know, that Jared Jack tweet? Um, you know, basically, does he have the goal to turn down the Supermac extension that the pace, that the Pelicans are going to offer him next season? And then if he does, um, well, you know, all bets are off because it's going to be a free-for-all and, and the type of packages that, that, that people will offer up for him is, is, is outrageous. Yeah, I, it's... Uh, I mean, people are already starting to talk about it, so I don't want to say it's the story nobody's talking about. But I, it's rare that, you know, granted, KD, obviously, like you said, he could change the course of championships, you know, maybe the next couple years. Um, you know, Anthony Davis, what, he's 20, he's 26? 25 still. 25, yeah. So you want to talk about a guy that could, I mean, he's good enough that he could legitimately change the course of the NBA for the next 10 years if he yep. went to a certain team. I mean, and, you know, you referenced the Nuggets game that followed up the Knicks game. I was watching some of that, and he just – he made uh, that team. And that's – you know, that's a good Nuggets defensive team. They, yes. Yeah. You know, and he, he made them, you know, putty in his hands. Um, Tommy, I can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, if you are out there and you are not following Tommy on Twitter, you really are doing yourself a disservice, not only for Knicks stuff, but – he, you, uh, I'll say this, you have the ability to get at the heart of like the important stuff that's going on in the NBA at any given time. And you just, you make it very easily accessible, easily consumable. Um, your pieces are great. I, you know, go out and read his stuff. He's a great follow. It's at Tommy Beer. Um, anything you want to plug, promote before I let you go? No, uh, just thank you very much for the kind words, and I'm uh, mutually uh, appreciative and respectful of the work you do, um, and, and you guys at the at the you know the the, the blog is 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 great. Uh, Knicks fan school is great. Um, the podcasts I enjoy and consume them consistently. So um, keep up the great work as well, and, and thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Tommy, and uh, I'm sure I'll have you on again. But until then, uh, thank you everybody for listening. If uh, you are uh, enjoying this one on your travels, safe travels, and we will be back with you uh, with another episode very soon. Take care. Peace out.